Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. Wow. A lot of liveliness uh, talking about a bad day. Um, You know, just to come uh, completely honest with you, coming into when I read this question um, and when I think about joy, um, I just want to think about joy just like popping off, like going to white elephant parties, like it's potlucks, it's just celebration all the time. Um, I just really felt like that's, that's me as like a seven, as a hype man all these different things. Um, But then there's another part of me that I just wanted to be, I wanted to be transparent and honest with you guys this morning that that this week wasn't those feelings. I wasn't experiencing that type of elation and and that type of experience of joy that I want to, that I I like to feel. And I came into this week pretty wiped. I was pretty worn down. Um, I had a lot of tears over some recent news. And the recent news was that it was a day where this past weekend where my, my, my day turned a lot worse. I got a text uh, from a friend that we had lost someone that was like family to me to alcoholism and a hit and run. And um, I've known him since I was 11 years old. There's like so much history there. There's just so much history of my hometown and my life experiences with them that are just flooding. And I'm up with my wife at 4 a.m. just weeping and just crying and and just grieving over the loss. Um, It was a normal Saturday. I woke up last week, and uh, the boys were going to take me out to KBBQ, drinks, board games. We're going to celebrate. We called it Dad Chillerette before my baby comes next month. And it was just this exciting thing. We just started off. We're just meeting up at the house. And then my heart sank when I got that text. And so I know today we're continuing our series in Advent, and we're talking about joy this morning. And I just want to acknowledge that there's a lot of people that are coming in here, maybe like me, that there's a lot of people that are coming in and feeling like, man, joy is the last thing that I want to talk about. Joy is the last thing, the farthest from what I'm feeling right now. And I just want to say that I understand, and I just want to encourage us now this morning that it is my belief and it is my prayer that God's word will meet us both this morning. And so this week as I was doing breathing prayer, as I was reading God's word uh, with just a heavy heart, I was reminded of Jesus' mother, Mary, whose day in life changed forever in a moment too. You know, it's in Luke 1 where the birth of Jesus is foretold. It's often described as this moment uh, of when joy came to the world. It's like what all the Christmas songs are about. It's this moment that joy came in the flesh. It's here. 
And this is central to what Advent is. Advent is the anticipation. It's the coming of joy. It's when joy arrives in baby Jesus. And we celebrate this joy because it's central to who God is. He was the inventor of joy. Joy is, is he created it for us to experience it to be limitless in him. That there would just be this fullness, untapped joy in him. He made it complete in the, cre- in the creation account. I think about how he enjoyed creating the world before him, and then he enjoyed doing that with us. But since the fall, joy has been fragmented, hasn't it? It's been outsourced to cheaper thrills or sometimes ourselves. It can feel like joy departs from us more often than we would like to, more often than we would admit. And so for God, the restoration of joy has always been his prerogative. It's always been one of the core tenets of his redemptive plan is to restore joy again like it was in the Garden of Eden. And so when it comes to hearing or celebrating the joyful story of Mary, the moment uh, joy came into the world, we can kind of see it with like rose-colored glasses often. We kind of see it as this moment when uh, everything was easy, Jesus came, there's like the virgin birth, it landed in our laps, everyone celebrates, it's snowing outside, it's not even cold, and, and there's just like Christmas music and like people playing the drums and all these things happening. But if we read the chapter in Luke 1 again, and when we pull back the glasses, I think we read a lot different of a story. I think we read a story that has that joy in it, but it comes with a lot more intention. It comes with a lot more meaningful meaningfulness and, and richness that comes with it. And it's not a joy that just falls into our laps, but one that we need to look deep within and search with meaning. So if you join me in the scriptures, we're in Luke 1, verses 26 through 56. The Bible says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And this is not, Nazareth is not a big town by any means. It's about 400 people. It's about the size of our church. It's a smaller community. Everybody knows everybody. Everyone is related. Well, maybe not everyone's related, <laughs> but everybody, everybody knows everybody. And, uh, and uh, we're going to scrap that one. Um, verse 27 says, the word of God says, um, that to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And so here we have an engaged woman, Mary, who's not being identified as a tax collector. She's not being identified as from the tribe of Benjamin. She's not being described as a prophetess. But here, it's just the virgin Mary. Why is that? Well, Luke, the author, does it to make abundantly clear that this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. He makes it abundantly clear that this is the same language, this is the exact moment from 700 years ago that the prophet Isaiah said in 714. And this is what it says, that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us, another name for Jesus. And so with the 700-year-old prophecy fulfilled in this moment, the angel now in verse 28 went to Mary and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, wondering what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. 
and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? That's a super fair question to ask that I was thinking about. I was like, that is a great question, Mary. And I was, and as I was just sitting with her, that like this is, if there's a story where your day turned for uh, a spin or a turn, it would be this day. It's a crazy day in history for Mary. And we're talking about a small, small town in Nazareth. We're talking about a humble and lowly town that's living in an honor-shame culture, meaning that everyone knew rank, everyone understood the distinct language of who was above one another or below one another. They knew the occupation, which one, the whole pecking order, they knew where that person lied. And there was a clear understanding of the status, how you would, uh, it would inform how you would treat another person, how you would esteem them, where they would sit on the table, the, the kind of access and even rights that you would have during this time. And, and it was also a time that we would consider very traditional values. And so Mary has found herself in a very new circumstance, which prompts the question, how will this be? What will come of this? And can you just sit and just imagine with me how difficult, how crazy it would be to explain to her fiance, Joseph, the love of her life, holding her baby bump and trying to explain that she's never had sex before. Can you just imagine how ridiculous that would be? Can, can I say that one more time? Can you imagine how difficult it would be to try and convince or tell someone to love your life, I am a virgin still, believe me, while she's holding her pregnant baby, her, her belly, a pregnant uh, bump. And can you imagine that the backlash that she would receive from her community, from her family, from the synagogue, from her future in-laws, the looks that she'll get in public, the dishonor that she would bring upon her family and the sin that would be attached to her name. People would outcast her because of this, calling her names like an adulteress, calling her unfaithful. These are all reasons to not associate with someone like this. And third, this new circumstance is just labor and delivery is very hard. From what I hear from my wife, who is in, hearing from her friends, that labor and delivery and being pregnant is just difficult. Your body is changing every single trimester. You're, and now in an instant, Mary's body uh, is changing hormonally, changing in her abilities, changing in how the way people view her or receive her. And back in this day, like pregnancy and delivery was no safe ordeal. There was nothing safe about it. There was so much loss of, of baby life and mother life at this time because it was such a dangerous thing to do. And so her life was at risk just being pregnant and having this baby. And so utter despair would totally be an appropriate response. It just sounds, what the angel's describing to her, it just sounds emotionally taxing. It sounds physically draining. It sounds isolating. It sounds isolating, being the only one in history to carry the Son of God to full term. Like that just sounds so disconnecting from all the world around her. But what Mary says in her response is different. In verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth 
your relative is going to have a child in her old age, in her 60s, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is now already in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary answers, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. How can anyone find joy in this circumstance? You know, if Mary's joy is in her fiancé, well, her fiancé is about to end the engagement. He's about to call off the engagement. He's about to take off his ring. He's on, she's on the verge of a breakup, of losing her fiancé. And even more so, now her fiancé, who could be hurt or have a bone to pick with her, he has the ability and authority to report her to authorities where she could possibly be stoned under Mosaic law. And if Mary's joy is in her appearance, her body is about to change and many men would now avoid her. A pregnant woman or mother with no husband, they would associate her with trouble or with sin or bad news. And if Mary's joy is in her reputation, her status and how she's seen by others, they now judge her, they outcast her, they call her unfaithful, they may be the first ones to cast a stone. But if her joy isn't in those things, if her joy isn't in things that are fleeting, uh, that are fluid, that are conditional, but rather her joy was in God all along, then Mary's joy can never be taken from her. Her joy isn't found wholly in Joseph or how she's perceived. It's not found in the opinions of others. It's, these things can change all the time. She didn't set her life on the things that can change, but she placed her joy in a God who never does who does not change, who is faithful. And it's knowing that peace there that she responds in total humble submission, saying, yes, yes, I am the Lord's servant. Yes, angel, I live for God. My life is devoted wholly to God. And when the angel says, no word from God will ever fail in the previous verse, Mary retorts or re backs that. She says, amen to that. She says, She's repeating that in the next verse, saying that I echo and I agree to that. May the Lord's word never fail in my life. And so what Mary is profoundly agreeing to is what she's saying yes and amen to is that her joy is found in the Lord's nearness. It's found in the Lord being with her in verse 28. His nearness meant that he is as close as ever. I can't think of a closer intimate relation physically than her having the Son of God dwell within her. In verse 31 through 32, it says that you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And if there's ever an undeniable reminder, it's a pregnancy kick. Like, I just think about every single time that she's getting kicked in the ribs, baby Jesus in the womb is punching her side, stomping on her bladder, moving around, dragging her elbow. It's a constant reminder that Jesus is with her, that Jesus is, dwells within her. And as I was writing up this point, I, I felt like an immense, uh, an immense sense of shame come over me as a male, because I felt like, did I just romanticize pregnancy as just like an ignorant husband and father? But, um, but I, I was saying though, I, would, I think I would take a kick, you know, if it means I, I'm reminded of God's nearness in my life. And I asked Kimberly, who's now almost 36 weeks, if there's ever a moment 
that she's not aware of Kaya in her belly? Is there ever a moment that she wakes up and she doesn't realize that she's pregnant? And she said, no, definitely no, heck no. She said she is always conscious of her movements. She is always conscious of when she drags an elbow across her ribs, plays the xylophone. She's always aware of it when she's sitting down and getting up out of the car. And it's the same thing for Mary. She's given a constant awareness every day of Christ's nearness. And knowing that would fill anyone with joy. Secondly, the Lord is with her spiritually in verse 35. And it says that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I think about that piece where Mary says, how will this be? She doesn't retort it. She doesn't reject it. But she's just curious, like, God, I don't know how this will end. You're delivering such a blow of a, a changing my world upside down. How will this be? What will come of this situation? And it's in the midst of her questions, wondering what will come of her and Joseph. How will this unfold? That the Lord gives her his presence in the Holy Spirit, the comforter of all comforters. He's, he's saying that his power will stand greater and above any shadow of a doubt, a greater and above any question, that his presence of the Holy Spirit will be more than sufficient to answer each and every question. That is who dwells within her. That is who is with Mary. And I think about, do we believe this for ourselves? Do we, when I think about the moments that I experienced this past week, where I was just going through it. Like, I just felt like I was going through all the gamut of grief and emotions and still in it. I felt like an emotional pit, but I wonder when I read this how different this is, how this changes everything, knowing that despite feeling overwhelmed, despite feeling consumed by my situation or my circumstance, being filled with rage or bursting at the seams, to know that the Holy Spirit can overshadow you and transform your circumstance for joy. Thirdly, the Lord is with Mary relationally. That despite being on the verge of being the most notorious person in her hometown, or just the pure loneliness and being the only one carrying the Son of God, the pressure she may feel, the, the questions she may have, the, the pregnancy, how this is unlike any of her friend's pregnancies, the Lord does this in verse 36. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. The Lord sees Mary, and what they will, he sees what they will say about her, what they will think about her, um, and what she feels, and he gives her a friend in Elizabeth to be pregnant together, to share in the joys together, to relate together, to not be in isolation, but be tethered to one another. And it gives her, a, in, in the once this void that left her disconnected from everyone else, now is replaced with a deeper and more intimate relationship. The Bible goes on to say in verse 39, that at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Have you ever had just a brother or sister uh, from church that was just like an answered prayer? Like, man, when you guys have just met up over coffee, that that would just go on for hours and you are just filled with conversational prayers, that you are encouraged to follow the Lord, that you are reminded of the Lord's promises in your life, to know that they're praying with you, that they're in it with you, and that they're uh, reminding you of God's goodness in your life. Man, that's, is that not the presence of God? Is that not Jesus in disguise? That friendship is God meeting us over a cup of coffee. And I love what Elizabeth says to Mary as a capstone. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. There is so much joy in God's nearness. Elizabeth is shouting, the baby is leaping. And it means this in my second point, that her joy rests on the promises of God and his unfailing word in verse 37 and 38. There's just so many promises being fulfilled in this moment. Verse 31, the virgin birth. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy 700 years ago. This is is being fulfilled right in this moment. Promise fulfilled in verse 36, Elizabeth in her 60s, barren, known to not be able to conceive or have a child, is now six months into a healthy pregnancy with John the Baptist. Promises that are going to be fulfilled in verse 32 and 33, Jesus the Messiah, that he will come to do all that he said he would, that he would reign forever and ever and his kingdom has no end. These are promises of God in his unfailing word and her joy rests in those. This was Mary's source of joy in the Lord's presence and his promises. And I think about, I think about us here I think about myself. Is this where we draw our joy from? With the season of life that we're in, with the areas that we've grown thin in our lives where we felt weariness and weariness, the misses in our relationship, the losses that we've accumulated on the way, are we allowing God to fill it with his nearness and his presence? Mary held before God a lot of needs. She had needs physically in her pregnancy. She had needs, needs for safety and for strength in her pregnancy and delivery. She had needs spiritually that in the, t- in the times of her questions or her worries or her wondering of how this will unfold in the depths of her soul, the Lord met her. And she had needs relationally when she just needed someone to journey with her here on earth to hold her, to weep with her, to encourage her and hug her. And God met each one of those, transforming her circumstance to one of joy. Do we do the same with our own needs with God? Do we believe that God can transform our circumstances to one, to one of joy? Do we have a heart that would say yes and amen to God's will in our lives, even if the circumstance is not what we would want or would have written it? And isn't it in these moments Isn't it in these moments that when we say yes and amen to the Lord's will in our life, that it's like we're reaching out to God? It's like we're reaching and we're extending a hand back to him. And it's these moments that we're saying yes, that we begin to sense his presence in the midst of our conversations. It's when we say yes, that we feel like he's in the room with us. 
It's when we say yes that there's this openness to his input and to his word over our lives. And so for Elizabeth, she exclaimed in a loud voice to these promises into his presence. Blessed are you. For the baby in, in, in the nearness of Jesus and in the promises of Jesus, he leapt for joy. And for Mary, her joy at the coming of the Lord breaks into a song in verse 46. And she sings this. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled with the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Can you guys see it and hear it, the joy in Mary's voice? when she says that God has been mindful of her, that God knows and, and knows her deepest thoughts, her deepest needs. And she's just recounting all the moments that God has been faithful, all the moments that God has drawn near to her, all the moments that God has been there for her. He knows her every thought and her every need. And man, she says, how he has done great things. Holy is his name. It's because the Lord is with her that that her spirit rejoices, that we see in the verses, with that her spirit rejoices and her soul beams. It glorifies the Lord. And it's in the promises which have her bursting with joy and recalling all that he's done. Verse 54, 55 says that he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. This is all the promises. This is the Lord. She is recounting all the times that the Lord has been faithful to her father, to her father's father, to her father's father's father, her whole family tree of how the Lord has continued and shown his faithfulness, that he has continued to hold a remnant of Israel as part of his redemptive plan and restoring complete joy. And so her soul sings at this remembrance. And as I sit with this passage in light of my past week, I just think about how badly I want to be like Mary, how badly I want to be in that space where I'm just singing, that it's just, it feels so instant for her that she just breaks out into song. But the reality is, though, is that when I read these words is that we're not always singing this song, is that our despair is that we're not always constant living, constantly living in this joy until we're in heaven, until we're with the Lord again. The reality is, is that our joy feels fragmented. It feels sparse. It feels like it comes and goes at times. It can ebb and flow. And one way that's helped me bridge the gap this past week has just been through breathing prayer. That it's in my internal world as I'm just sitting, going through the stages of grief and just thinking about my loss. That it's in my internal world that I've been just trying my best to invite Jesus into those spaces. I've been trying to center myself around the Lord and just be breathing in the Lord's presence. 
I've been just trying to sit with him and just breathe in the Lord and just exhale his promises over everything that I'm feeling. And so one thing that I've been saying over and over again every single night when I'm alone to my thoughts is I've just been saying, Bobby is with you. And God, you've got him. And I've just been saying that over and over and over again, just trying to breathe in and just trying to draw closer to the Lord and just experience him drawing nearer to me. And when I exhale that, that little bit that Bobby is with you is what I'm trying to declare is that that is where I've put my hope and faith and joy in is in that day and that promise that the Lord has given us, that those who believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, people that profess that he is Lord and Savior of their lives will be with them eternally and forevermore. And this here, that peace right here, that's joy. That's everlasting joy. That's a deep biblical joy that comes from drawing close to God as he draws near to us. And so there'll be, there may be some of you that feel like you've been trying to do this. You're like, Kevin, I've been doing this breathing prayer for like 10 years or for years and seasons and seasons. I've sang this song many, many times. I've tried to. And you might just feel like Israel, how Israel did. That for generations of generations that they were roaming the wilderness, that they were in isolation, that they were crying out and seeking God's joy and presence only to be back in the desert again, only to be right back where they feel like they were. But can I just encourage you this morning and remind you of a day of God's promises where it comes full circle. When it's not Jesus in the womb coming, it's not um, baby Jesus, cute, innocent, cooing, uh, sweet baby Jesus, but it's actually Jesus riding on a horse with a sword, with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth. It's Jesus with a tattoo. It's Jesus that's going to overcome the world. It's Jesus who is going to be good on his promise and do what he said. And it's that day that will be glorious and will be the most full of joy. It's because it means that God is faithful and it means that God has promised what he has promised and has done what he has promised to wipe away every tear. And it's, it's a time where we don't have to do any more breathing prayers. We don't have to, to practice or do this to be in the presence of God because it's a day that we're breathing before Jesus and we're taking in his presence, his essence, his breath, and we're doing that face to face. It's a day where the Bible tells us that our joy is finally complete. And it's complete because we are fully and completely tethered to God. And there will no longer be this joyful expectation, uh, the seasons of joyful expectation and, and repeating that, but it will be a joyful celebration. Revelation 7, 9 through 17 says this. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen. 
Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the moment where God's redemptive plan comes full circle. What we get to continue, our anticipation, our present and future joy, it's, this, it's in this moment where everything is made complete, where everything makes sense. Our purpose, who we are, what we were called to be, everything comes full circle in the presence of Jesus as we bow down and worship him, as we are tethered to him forevermore, never to be separated again. It'll be like the best Sunday ever times 100, times 10, then, and we get to experience it every day. We'll be surrounded by angels that are flying above us. The unborn will be leaping for joy. The Elizabeths and the Marys will be exclaiming with shouts and praise. And Bobby will be there. Our loved ones will be there. Renew Church will be there with maybe a meetup section at the end. And all of creation will just have full and utter and complete joy in the presence of our Father. Let's pray. God, I think about the joy um, that you offer us in you and in your son, Jesus. And God, I just thank you for the immense and tremendous gift for myself and maybe for many others here, it just feels like joy. Um, we wanna string along more winds of joy in our lives. But God, thank you that the joy comes from you and that when you, that the Bible says that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so Lord, I just pray that our, that our joy would be found in you alone. And God, I just pray for those moments uh, that, that we could hold into that present and that future joy, holding both in hand, where our joy will be made complete because we'll forever be with you. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection, Helping Kids Bridge Their Faith with God's Calling in Their Life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. 
And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.